Today is January 26, 2020. Come on. An awful lot's happened since the last time we were, to, we're together. The churches of Indonesia, Peru, Illinois, Virginia, Louisiana, Victoria, Denton, and our partners all over the world, they send you their heartfelt greetings. LCM is at the top of everyone's prayer list. They love you. They are thankful for what you're contributing to their lives. As I've traveled around the churches, they're all in a time of cultivation. They're examining the soil of their believing hearts for areas of unbelief. They're looking for the unproductive areas, the areas that have been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is because we know Him and we want to be like Him. We're learning to live in a greater level of personal transparency so that we can live in a greater level of personal transformation. Amen. Throughout the churches, we're learning to be seen for exactly what we are so that we can become exactly what God wants us to be and He gets the glory for it. I wasn't sure that I would get to see you today. The travel schedule has been crazy and we're on the way to Virginia. But I'm glad I'm here today because I want to talk to you about the progress that we're making. Somebody say progress. Progress. Now that reminds me of Philippians 1.24. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain... And I will continue with all of you for your progress in joy in the faith. And I'm excited to cultivate progress in my own life today. Are you? When you're thinking about this, isn't this what Paul also said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4? Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Progress by definition means that you are further along than you were. That gives meaning to your failures. That gives hope in the midst of crushing defeat. In this church, we do not want to glory in the pretense of perfection. We want to soldier on progressing towards the perfection that is ours in Christ. We're going to read you some passages from the Bible that take raw courage. They take holy honesty. You have to imagine that you're writing this about your life in the best-selling book of all time. It's not brave to post something on Facebook where only your friends read it. (laughs) Imagine writing these words that we're going to read. For the generations of skeptics, for the generations of critics, for the generations of those that were looking for a reason to disqualify you. And you wrote it anyway because you knew that the only way to holiness was through honesty. Let's turn to Romans 7. We're going to pick up in the 21st verse together. Say there when you're there. Somebody say progress when you're there. Romans 7, 21. 
So I find this law at work when I do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And this next phrase, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. When you consider for just a moment that this is a man just like you and I, except this is a man that wrote a huge portion of the New Testament that founded Christianity in areas that had never seen it before, that brought the gospel across the planet. See, theologians read this and they say, what a wretched man I am. And somehow they twist that into what he used to be. Now, our beloved, esteemed Apostle Paul, a man that might even be considered venerated in a charismatic-style church, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Is that not brazen, honest? Brazen honesty? This could be seen as an illusion to circumcision. The idea that Paul, a man who is in the Lord's work, accomplishing what he was called to do so blatantly, so boldly out in the open, wrote something for all generations to read about his own personal sensitivity, his own personal weakness, and his desperate need for God to work inside of him. Is that encouraging to you? When you're thinking about what Judah called an allusion to circumcision, Paul here boldly, directly, even transparently exposed a war within himself. This gives others the opportunity to glory in the progress that God causes in his life. When we say circumcision to us, unless you're talking about an eight-day-year-old baby, it kind of has lost its impact. You have to think through this for a minute. He said, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But we don't see the inner being. Abraham and his whole household. Somebody say whole household. Whole household. Israel as a nation at Gilgal. They stepped forward publicly. Revealing the most intimate, inner, and symbolically shameful part of themselves. So that something could be cut away. And cut away in front of every. You can go to Gilgal, Israel today. And Gilgal is named Hill of Foreskins. So, oh wow. That's a, that's really neat historical fact. Yes, that's because you didn't have to contribute to the pile. I want you to think through this. And ladies, I know it's awkward, but you need to do it. We say, oh Lord, circumcise my heart. Do you know what you were saying? This caused the men to have to take a part that would not be considered presentable and in front of their peers, not only be presented as they actually are, but be cut. Something is missing in Christianity today. We have all of the right phrases We know how to say all of the right things. 
but there is no public cutting away. It's always in the past tense. I was this and the Lord saved me. And everything is neatly wrapped up in your history. Paul put in the present tense, I am a wretched man. The same man who said, you know how holy, righteous, and blameless I was with you. This is because there was a war going on inside of him. And he exposed it publicly so that it could be cut away. This is not all that unlike David in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 5 and 6. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Those of you who were here on Monday night, we spoke at great length about the public nature of David's proclamation through the Psalms. There was something that would be read and sung again and again about what was happening in his own life. Something that we often miss is reading this. We say, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then we think, oh, until I had an experience with the Lord. David was a man that had many experiences with the Lord. A man that was much like Paul at his service, enduring for his name. But what he says in this psalm is sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me up to this point. Surely you desire now truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost, most sensitive places. We ended worship intentionally in a place where we could feel the holiness of God, where we could feel a desire for something. We didn't resolve it and leave it in a place where we all cheer and clap together for a minute and feel like you got it. That was for an intended purpose. Because God is drawing in us a deeper desire for Him. A deeper desire for His holiness. An awareness of His holiness causes something in us that will progress as we keep moving. It is in this public proclamation, in this national song, this book of Psalms that has been handed down through the generations that David exposed the fact that he was struggling as a sinner and that he needed a brand new heart. He needed something renewed in his inner being. This is not him coming to faith. This is a demonstration of his faith. Amen. See, we're completely comfortable with a sinner repenting. But we are less comfortable, and wrongly so. We are less comfortable with the ongoing need for repentance daily in somebody's life. And then when we do manage to do it, we do it at an altar between us and the Lord. The altar in Israel was a public altar. Everybody could see, you could surmise by the sacrifice your brother was bringing, what they had done. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was a public event. When he said, take up your cross and follow him daily, he meant publicly. And we treat these as inner, private battles, which is why they are so often unwinnable. Deuteronomy 30, in verse 6, says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that... You may love Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. See, this wretched battle between the man that you are presently 
and the man that you're still becoming, it's a battle that has to be won. It was not completed the day you came into Christ. It was initiated the day you came into Christ. When you read Deuteronomy 30, you can't divorce yourself from the physical circumcision that happened at Gilgal, that happened in Abraham's life. See, I'm a church brat. I grew up hearing about circumcise your heart, circumcise your heart. What you think when you hear that typically in church is that you're moved to tears and temporary repentance, that you feel bad about something for a minute. Oh, the Lord's really working on my heart. What the Lord is saying is that inside of your innermost being, that is the equivalent of cutting something away on a man that is extraordinarily painful, but is a mark of a covenant. I'm going to do that inside of your heart. Not one day, not one time. I will do it and I will be doing it. I will do it in you. I will do it in your descendants. This is a battle that God knew was going to have to happen on the inside of them because they are wretched. You are wretched. I am wretched. And yet something else is also at work inside of our life. Does somebody feel me this morning? Now, let's not get confused about the battle being on the inside. The mark of the covenant, the cutting away of the flesh. It was of something that was inner and private, but it was done in a public fashion. See, the Lord has circumcised my heart. Really? How did that happen and nobody noticed it? Where's the blood? Where, where's the blood? Where was the agony? Where was the healing? We go, oh, well, I'm crucified with Christ. Really? How is it that that has happened in his ongoing daily and we never noticed it? Why did we not see you carrying a cross? Why did we not see you stumbling under the weight that was pressed on you? See, the idea that you could have your heart circumcised and it just be between you and the Lord is a ridiculous concept when the nation was all circumcised in a single day. See, you knew that they had been circumcised because there was a hill of their flesh that did not belong, that had been cut away, that became a monument that a town is named after. Where are your monuments? Where is the, the monumental steps of repentance you've taken since you were born again? Why do you not look at them as an example of your progress in Christ? Why can we not look and go, last month I walked away from this and it was extraordinary. The month before that I put this to death and it was extraordinary. Why must your testimony be 20 years ago in a galaxy far, far away I one time repented of behavior that was not God's best? for me. This is cowardice and it will never lead to holiness. But boldly, directly, standing up, being seen for exactly what you are. Exposed, if you will. This gives you the opportunity to cut away what doesn't belong and people to see your progress. I'm going to go off track here for just a second with something that I know you'll understand. If you are married in this room, raise a hand. Wow, that is a great portion of this room. When a husband and wife who have been holy meet at an altar and take vows and then go on into married life with all that that brings, they grow in their level of comfort with exposure to each other. At first... They hide behind things. They turn off the lights. They jump into bed and pull the covers up to their eyes. When you've been married for a few decades, you walk around completely differently. You, you've watched your wife give birth. She has seen you throw up. She has, 
It's a different level of intimacy. It has to grow. Well, you are the bride of Christ. Are you exposed before Him? So, oh yes, He sees everything. Well, I am His body. Bonham is His body. Looking around the room, these are the members of His body. How is it that you're exposed before Christ, but your behavior is secret before this body? Circumcision was a public thing. We've been preaching and preaching about elevating your priesthood, about cultivating the soil of your heart. The way that we actually have progress in real repentance is the removal of that item and done in a way that is not put back easily. Proverbs speak about a man who puts something away in private and then so easily pulls it back out later. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. Don't tell anyone. I'm so sorry this happened. Real repentance in the Bible is what we are speaking about today because it leads to real progress. We don't expect that to be something you immediately see. Yes, I want to hurt. But when you actually have a desperation for the Lord, like we could feel beginning to grow at the end of worship, that I really, I want that holiness. Then more than anything else, what you want is real progress. You're willing to repent in any way that promotes that. You're willing to bleed. In fact, you actually get excited about being circumcised publicly if it means that you're closer to the God that you love. Do you love Him this morning? I want to tell you why we're standing here. Two weeks ago, I committed a wretched sin that I was ashamed of. I want to tell you in front of my friends and family, I lied bold-faced to a client right on to their face. Monday morning, first thing that I did, first job site. Say that's wicked. That's wicked. Never done it before. Not in three, four years of sales. Not once. Took me about three days to kill my Zimri after that. The very first thing I did is the first brothers that I saw, I came in and told them exactly what happened. You know why I'm not ashamed to tell you that? It's because I'm actually free. I am free in Christ. That lie does not define my life anymore. Because it was actually killed in the way that Zimri needed to die. I want to ask you. We've been preaching about cultivating your priesthood. About experiencing an elevation. If we put your life over the last two weeks on the screen. Would you be white knuckled if we started to walk through the last few sins that you committed? I can tell you that because I'm actually liberated. Because there's actual real repentance and progress in my life. I am a wretched, wretched human being. And my awareness of that is growing every day. But that's not all that I am. I'm a son of God at the same moment. And He's doing something in me. We want that kind of progress in you where you're really free. Most men are too exalted in their own eyes for this kind of exposure. They would rather hide in secrecy. And just let everybody kind of assume that they're doing fine. That kind of Christian cowardice has to be circumcised away. I want you to consider the life of our beloved Apostle Paul again. Justin Treister came and visited me in Dallas. And he brought me a word. A word that confirmed what we're sharing right now. And I want to summarize these steps for you. This is from the life of Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. Do you recognize that? The least of the apostles. That was in AD 54. In Ephesians 3, 8, listen to the change in statement. Less than least of all God's people. That's what he calls himself. Do you see how that is a step down? Less from the apostles, less than the least of all God's people? That was 10 years later. Wow. His view of himself, 
is more honest 10 years later than it was 10 years earlier. Do you think that he's further from God? Of course not. The closer he gets to God's holiness, the more he's seeing the disparity between their characters. In 1 Timothy 1.16, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. He starts off less than the apostles, then less than God's people. And then in the last year of his life, in AD 66 or 67, he is the worst of all sinners. How is it that the apostle could escalate the exposure of his carnal nature as he grew in the faith? His heart was being circumcised. He loved the Lord now more than ever. He was more effective for the Lord now than ever. And he could see the two natures within himself with more clarity now than ever. And he was holy enough to be honest about it. See, do you think that Paul was genuinely further from the Lord at the end of his life than he was at the beginning? Does anybody believe that? What is it that caused his awareness of his state to grow. See, he grew closer to the Lord and more and more familiar with his holiness. We have to stop looking at our own lives as when something is highlighted that is not right, as, oh no, this is bad. No, the very fact that we could feel the presence of God in this room in a holy, weighty kind of manner, and then you hear a prophecy from an elder's wife that is explicitly about our reflection in his holiness. What is keeping us from barging in with confidence and faith. See, the Lord is being kind enough to us today because he loves us to draw us into his holiness. And that causes us like Isaiah where pastor opened to realize, Lord, my lips are unclean. I need you to cleanse me. Lord, circumcise this heart. Lord, I want what you have. I want to make progress in my faith. It is not a negative thing at all when the holiness of God gives you a revelation. It's actually the beginning of hope. Let's take a look at Romans 8.13 together. As we get into Romans 8.13, I want to give you a small parable and then we're going to move forward quickly. Let's just imagine for a moment that you, say me. Me. You know from God that you are going to go pray for somebody tomorrow to be raised from the dead. Are you excited? Yes. Tonight, you fight with someone and you say words that should never be said. Now how do you feel? Somebody say it out loud. Condemned. What else? Unworthy. Unworthy. But doesn't this reveal something about your view of yourself before the fight? Do you actually think you were worthy before? See, what is wrong with us? We think, oh, if that sin becomes exposed, then I'll be disqualified. You not exposing it is what has disqualified you. You not having the courage to publicly step forward and circumcise it away from your life is the disqualifying factor. The men that we need to revere are those that repent the best, that repent the most honestly, that repent the most often. Those that sit back in cowardice and silence. They are not fit to lead us. And they're not fit to lead us because it is the pretense of perfection. It is the plagiarism of God's story. It is not based in the actual practice of the life. Every man who draws close to the Lord has to increasingly deal with his own sinful nature. In Romans 8.13, we'll begin that. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice here, 
that throughout these chapters, they're written to Christians. Paul is acknowledging both natures that are at work inside of you. We have preached and preached and preached in Romans 8.13. And what you hear in it is I need to live a spirit-filled, righteous life or I will die. Yes, that is absolutely true. And at the same time, both of those things are at work in you at all times. And Paul blatantly acknowledges it. It's not like some kind of secret. It's what he says about his own life and when he writes about us. Something in this has got to be garnered in us where we are no longer looking just to present that we live by the Spirit and pretending that God is not fully aware of the areas that we do not acknowledge. You, you live by the Spirit because Christ is at work in you. And there is also another nature that is inside of you at the same moment. It is our job to cultivate our soil, cultivate the courage to actually confront the things that are eating away inside of your heart. The way that we do that has to be with bold, courageous honesty. He can't circumcise your heart and it not be public in the way that Gilgal was circumcised, in the way that Abraham was circumcised, in the way that the people of faith in the past have. True circumcision, true change of heart and cultivation comes when we have the courage, have the courage by the divine, praying, whatever you need to do to actually deal with it. See, you can't be circumcised with your clothes on. It can't be done. It involves the exposure so that you can execute the deeds of the flesh. In fact, the courage to win starts by excising away the cowardice, shame, and concealment of unwholesome desires and faithless practices. It starts, victory starts with revealing your present state as it actually is. How many of you have had this scenario going on? You're grumbling, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're depressed, whatever it is. And then the phone rings. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Liar! Liar! Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Liar! Why are you so scared to be seen as you are? Why if we line up and ask questions in this room, like... Hey, what does this verse mean? Why does everybody get quiet and look around? Because you are terrified to be revealed for not knowing things you should know. Does that make it any better though? Shouldn't you rather be a blank slate, obvious where you're at, so we can take joy in your progress? Look, the cravings of the flesh, they have to be dealt with. And secrecy only makes them grow. We have to bring them into the light. We have to expose them so that we can execute them. The exposure of sinful soil and the execution of sin in our lives is progress that elevates the priesthood of God. It will not disqualify you. It will actually elevate you. Who in this room has been married more than 10 years? Husbands? Feel free to answer this if you have the courage or just respond nodding. I'm watching you. Have you ever had a problem resolved by ignoring it? It's funny your answers around the room. For whatever reason, we seem to think in our natural minds that, oh, I'm just going to smooth this over and it's going to be fine. But when you've been in the faith long enough, when you've been married long enough, you start to see the ugly heads that you never cut off rearing back up. You know the reason that I am completely comfortable on recording telling you that I did something that is shameful two weeks ago? Not two years ago, two weeks ago? is because I've actually dealt with the problem. Because I want it to be in the light. 
It is not something that I'm trying to smooth over any longer. There's we're exposing reason. it. There's another reason. And uh, we're going to have to go to Colossians 3. But listen, it'll be on the screen. Catch this. I'm looking at beautiful young ladies out here. A couple ugly dudes, but a few beautiful ladies. <laughs> and see, ladies, you, you put on foundation. You put on, uh, <laughs> Lord, I don't know what it all is. Powder. Uh, if you ever see what it's made of, it's disgusting. But uh, it looks good on you. And you do that because you don't want any flaws to be revealed. Again, the longer you've been married, you're like, Hey, honey, look at this on my back. I can't see it. Is there something there? Get it. You start off not wanting anybody to see any flaw. Later, you are so happy that there is somebody there to help you deal with what you can't deal with that you're in love. We are the bride of Christ. You better get more comfortable with others knowing that you're broken. It should be something that you don't just flippantly, oh yeah, I'm broken, so it's all diffused. No, no, how are you broken? What is it that you're going to overcome because you're admitting it now? You're working at it now. See, the way Christians cop out of this is, well, we're just all those sinners. No, no, you're called to be more than that. So what areas... What specific practices have you identified that have to be cut away? See, we, we have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Those that want to be leaders and stand up the tallest are the least revealing about their own lives. You cannot lead that way. To elevate the priesthood, you have to set the example in bold repentance. Are we in Colossians 3? Yeah. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves. Notice he describes a born-again experience. Then he says, now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Is being renewed. You have to get renewed many times. You have to be made new again and again and again. Even though you no longer walk in these ways, you no longer walk in these things, when they happen, they are a stumble. They're not a walk. Your earthly nature should become the exception, not the rule. We have to expose it so that you can execute it. The people who keep it in secrecy, that keep it covered, they don't plan on executing it. They're saving it. They're saving it and protecting it. They want to keep the pride that allowed the sin by making sure that people do not understand what they actually are. You are robbing God of the glory that would be His in the progress of your life. When you hear the words earthly, He he said, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Think James 3.14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition... This is plainly wanting to be seen as better than you actually are. In your hearts, do not boast about it. 
or deny the truth. Don't deny the truth about yourself with flattering speech. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. Hear this last part of the devil. Don't lie to each other about what? What is he encouraging? He's saying, are you actually honest about your earthly desires, your struggles, your stumbles, your sin? Or do you appear to others as more righteous than you are? See, the elimination of the practice, it's far less than half the battle. The old self must be executed daily. That's not a silent private execution. Crucifixion was out in the open. The bronze altar at the tabernacle was out in the open to the public. We're going to have to put off. We're going to have to expose. We're going to have to execute earthly desires and put on and practice and perfect the new self. The new self that is continually being renewed. Made more than new, more than one time. How many of you need to be renewed? Now everybody said yes, but what if I asked you what you needed to be renewed from? Will you shrink back under your seat? Do not be a Christian coward. Own up to what you are so that God can get glory for what you become. In Colossians we just read, he said, put off the old self with it, the deeds. It's a reaction to putting the old self off. It's half of the battle to say, oh, well, I haven't done any of those things, pastor. I'm not sexually immoral. Yeah, but your heart is wicked and you want it. And it's earthly and naturally driven. The fact that you have just wise thinking and want to be viewed a certain way or look like you have some kind of pride that you derive from work, from your appearance, from anything else. That is earthly thinking and is exactly what they are saying is you wishing to be viewed differently than you are before Christ. If your brothers look at you differently than you will on Judgment Day, you're lying to each other. Do you hear what I said? If you look different today than you would on Judgment Day to the people on your left and right, you're lying to them. You're giving them a Facebook church image. I want to be seen as Christ sees me. I'm working to cultivate it. I'm not good at it yet, but I'm learning to expose and expose. I have a good brother in the car that was praying with me this morning. He says, I've been struggling with faithlessness. And he's one of the most faithful men that I know. And that struck me to the heart. It made me want to grow in faithfulness. Something inside of us has got to stop hating our actual condition and want to progress. Do you want to progress? See, think on the times of renewal in your life. Were they not accompanied by public reckoning with your actual state? Yes. I mean, this kind of transparency leads to transformation. It's progress that encourages us all. You know... I'm the faithless one he was talking about. And, and what I'm realizing is as I'm setting out to do the things that I know God has said to do, I'm worried they won't work. Do you know what that means? I have a faith problem. What I'm doing is I'm getting and I'm praising the Lord and I'm excited and I'm at the top of the roller coaster. But two hours later, I'm depressed because I miss you. I'm depressed because what I have been a part of now feels far from me. That is faithlessness. But as you drag it out into the open, what do you know that you can do to help me put that to death now? See, that is what we're inviting. A brother recently confessed to lust. Lust was not lethal. It's the aberration in his life. What was lethal is the logic that led to the concealment of it. The feeling that he didn't need to tell anybody. 
No, that is how the devil X's you out of the kingdom. Say, well, no, no, I I told this person. Yes, you told that person because you knew that they would be a, a kind and quiet recipient and usually one with the same problem you have. See, the body of Christ is the body. We are one unit. Don't be scared to be exactly what you are. God will show progress in your life and all will glorify Him for it. Turn to Revelation 2.13. Say holy. Holy. Honesty. Honesty. We're going to cultivate that. That's going to become as common in our speech as DCD. We are going to be holy and honest people about our condition. Who's in Revelation 2, 13? I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. The Lord knows where you live. The Lord knows your actual state. He knows your actual condition. He also knows that you're a city with two thrones. That the people that he's writing to here have God enthroned over their heart and yet there is another throne, another dominion, another kingdom reigning in that place. I want to tell you a so today that I think you'll find true as you compare it to the scripture. There are more than one throne in your heart. It's not just your sinful desire. It's areas that you let the schemes of the enemy be your God. Where you allow Satan to dictate the way that you respond, what you do and do not reveal. You are a city with two thrones in it. He goes on, he says, do not renounce your trust in the Lord. Do not lie about the state of the war. Those two dominions, those two kingdoms are clashing like Paul described in your life over and over and over again. When you give the world false intel, how is anybody supposed to help you? When you cover over a defeat, how are you ever supposed to gain real strength? When you cover over the war, there is no victory. It's time that we publicize our campaign. That with holy honesty, we recognize the two kingdoms that are clashing. And you say, no, I'm going to win. I'm going to be filled with faith. But this is an area that I have to beat. I have to take this city. I have to defeat this giant and this enemy. It is beating me in this area. I need some help. Will somebody pray and repent with me? That's when you gain real power. Your city is where Satan lives. But it's time that we drive him out and God will help us drive it out. See, you are a Christian. But every Christian still has two natures. You need to acknowledge it. You need to face it. You need to confront it. Your hope is in crucifying and circumcising away what does not belong. That is never successful in secrecy. You are a sinner. But you are also a saint. Sin used to define you. But as you publicly expose and execute it in honesty, you are made holy. This is the hope of every believer. And it is an ongoing process. Somebody say, I have hope. I have hope. We want to walk you through some passages about hope. Because I know for sure that we frightened you when talking about public exposure of your sin. Nobody should have to do that for you. That should be your desire to do. Nobody should have to make you do that. Somebody, you should want to say, hey, I need help in this area. And you ought not run down the Christian drop-down menu to see what is okay to... um, uh, I sometimes kind of need to repent because it's possible that there's a teeny little bit of pride in my life, but only on Tuesdays without Starbucks. This is cowardice. 
The truth is, is we probably have a pretty good idea right where you're at anyway. It's you that are self-deceiving with the image that presents as better than it actually is. I know which one of you look strong and are actually riddled with insecurity. I know which one of you are hiding darkness in your life and pretending dancing during worship like it's all okay. Is your worship itself, by the way, is it a false statement about your life? Do you worship in here with lyrics that you never could have written because they're not true? Do you worship in here with an enthusiasm that is never touched outside these walls? Are you trying to make yourself feel better with two hours of intensity to make up for the other two weeks of your life? See, we have to come to grips with this. And as we do, something amazing happens. You realize, wow, there's room for progress. And as I make the progress, the thing is, is God gets glory for that. I am not yet perfected, but I am better off than I was two weeks ago. Everybody in here would say that without any problem, but you won't say how. You won't say what you overcame in two weeks. You won't say what it was you were, because you are terrified that somebody will think lowly of you from it. Well, then you are underestimating the body of Christ. We're moving to hope. We're going to turn to hope. It's going to be in Psalm 119. You start going there. Those of you that have struggled with the exact same sin that crops up every couple years, every year, you really need to consider why that is. What is it about your repentance that did not actually produce lasting change? So let's say you're growing in the Lord and you put something down for a month, but then fear, whatever other desire it is, starts creeping right back up into your heart. There's a couple gardeners in here. Charlie is uh, a man of many talents. When, if Charlie cuts a weed down but doesn't dig out the roots, you might as well have done nothing at all because it produces no lasting change. If you are repetitively failing to correct your children when you've promised over and over that you're going to, or if you are repetitively falling into sexual immorality when you've promised over and over you're going to, or even letting fear dominate your life, Maybe we need to consider the tools that we're using to cultivate our heart. Are you using a half measure when God's calling you to cut it out of your life? Hope. Psalm 119, verse 49. Remember your word to your servant. It's funny, this man's prayer. Remember your word to your servant. For you have given me hope. My comfort in my sufferings is this. Your promise preserves my life. See, he will give us hope of being continued into transformation. As we are transparent, He is able to transform us. The recognition of it ought to bring about hope because He knew already. You're just now actually becoming aware of it. But His desire is to sustain His servant, to bring about the word that was given. He will give you hope of elevation, that we actually can become higher. As we remove the entanglements that Hebrews speaks about, it allows you to become the man of God or woman of God you're supposed to be. His promise to complete what He started in our life perseveres. That's the most comforting thing in the world. The idea that His Word will not return void if we respond to it. It's not based upon your own strength. Not based upon your own ability. It's based upon you choosing to respond to what He tells you to do. Why are you not scared to expose it? 
Well, because I have a promise that can't be executed. The only thing that will die in this transaction is the pride that caused the sin to flourish. I don't have to worry about it, just like Paul didn't have to worry about it. He could have an ever-escalating view of his own depravity because righteousness and the promise was growing and outpacing it in every way. He was not concerned about how he was viewed because he knew what God was causing to be done through him. See, we rob ourselves of something. I want you to have hope. Psalm 62 and verse 5 says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. Amen. Look, when your hope comes from Him, then you can say what verse 7 says. My salvation and my honor depend on God. You're not worried about who gives you honor and who doesn't give you honor. In fact, you're willing and excited to stand up and say, Don't think more of me than is warranted by what I do. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. He he didn't want anybody to think more of him than the progress they could see God had caused in his life. Your hope has to come from him. It has to come in moments of holy honesty. Not in secrecy and self-deception. Trust in him is something that has to be at all times. Which is what verse 8 says. Your salvation, your honor, they depend on him as he transforms you. This... Psalm goes on to say, pour out your hearts to Him. Come on. Friends, I'm encouraging you to pour out your hearts publicly. To pour it out in a national circumcision. At at a public altar. Or a public crucifixion. The worst thing that could happen to you in this room is others believe you're stronger than you are and then find out that you're not. It's a terrible shame that it takes church discipline To expose a struggle in someone's life. That is like calling the doctor when the patient is dead. If you exposed what was going on in your life, then you might actually get... When it's revealed, it gets healed. You might actually get healed. It's lingering in secrecy and darkness that steal your hope from you, steal your healing from you. You need to be honest with the men and women in this room. Psalm 25 in verse 4 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Our hope is in Him all day long because our repentance and our awareness of our own sinful nature ought to be all day long. The closer to the Lord you get, the more aware of His holiness and His holiness in your life, the more repentance should be flowing off of your lips all day day long but he is the god that came to redeem you what was spoken about during worship was not to treat his blood lightly that came to redeem you from those sinful acts not so that we could hide them and pretend that they don't exist but that we might find hope in him all day long this is how he shows us and teaches us his paths is by constantly course correcting and working through him you have to have enough trust in god to trust your brothers to trust the people that are around you. It shows an extraordinary lack of faith in the blood of Christ in the people that are around you when you're sure that if you share it, you're going to be exterminated. Did Jesus kill you when you came to him and needed to be born again? Did he despise the sin? Did he teach you to live rightly? Did he help you walk rightly? Jesus is in the people on your left and right. Either you believe that or you don't. I assume you believe it. That's why you're here. 
We are supposed to be a family of priests. What should priests be doing for each other? We'll cultivate a all day long kind of hope and an all day long kind of repentance. Moses killed somebody. Moses modified God's word. Moses had more than one wife in his lifetime. Abraham lied about his wife saying she was his sister. Abraham slept with Hagar. How do we know all of these things? Because they exposed it in the Word of God for your benefit. How many of you are looking at Abraham going, Ah, I can't believe him. He really is terrible. How many of you look at Moses and look down on him? See, you don't because you know how their life ended. See, you know, you know the progress God made in their lives. The whole point of this is when you sin, it is not you. It is the exception to the rule. And if you will expose it, you can eliminate it. Amen. And this allows us to see your progress and you to see ours and us to press in together. I want to read to you Isaiah 40. Actually, I'm going to have Judah read Isaiah 29 through 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And yet men stumble and fall. But those who have hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Without confrontation of your weariness, how can you receive His strength? See, how could you get strength from the Lord if you can't even admit where you're weary? Without confrontation of your weakness, how can you receive His power? See, we can quilt this verse on a pillow, but you can't walk it out practically simply by quoting it. Without the exposure of your stumbling and falling, how can you be renewed? What would you need to be renewed from? You know, uh, I, I love correction. Good, give me an example of what was wrong and how you have been corrected. Amen. No, you love the idea of people thinking you love correction. Our hope is in the Lord and He is renewing our strength as we confront our need for it. This is best done in a public fashion. But are you ready for this message to get good? Would you like to take a turn on some passages that you probably haven't looked at quite this way before? Or are you done? See, I haven't been here in some time. And I'm not going to be here for a couple more months. In fact, I've got... Trips to Virginia, Albania, Romania, all kind of things going on. And I kind of want to make this one count because I love this church. I love you. I need you to be strong to help me be strong. The truth is, is I don't want to do this without you, not any one of you. I love you desperately. And we need each other, but we need each other honestly, holy, being perfected, glorying in each other's progress. It doesn't do us any good to pretend everything's okay. The truth is, we know it's not. If you have to be asked more than one time in a day, hey brother, what's wrong? Something's wrong despite your assertion that it's not. See, we have to get this right. And as we do, our hope will soar like eagles. Judah, start in Genesis 34 for us. Verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, We have brought trouble, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? 
Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. Say, go up with me. Go up up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you're fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. When Jacob's family is failing, the Lord reminds him of other failures that weren't fatal because the Lord rescued, the Lord delivered, the Lord dominated the darkness within Jacob. In fact, he told him in Hebrew, not so much go up, but get up and go up. To the previous place of promise. You gotta go back and you gotta renew your hope. You gotta get set on the right thing here. This will not be the end of you. It will not be your defining feature. It simply is an exposure that allows God's image to be imprinted on you in a new way. He tells his family, you have to purge the foreign bodies. You have to purify your persons. You have to perfect your new self. You can't perfect something that you don't already view as broken. You understand? If you fight for perfection in your present state, you eliminate it in your future state. The Lord will be the answer for the honest man who in his distress cries out for holiness. His holiness is your help. I want to turn to Numbers 10 as Judah begins to explain it to us. We're going to be in Numbers 10 in verse 33. We're moving at a rapid pace, but it is a repetitive idea. And we want to get it to you in as many ways as we can because your survival depends on it. Numbers 10.33. I'll read it and Judah will share it with you. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord! May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. They just left the mountain of God in the dwelling of His presence in the most powerful kind of event that the world has ever seen. But it's been three days. How are many of you on a Wednesday? It's been three days. Something inside of them is not quite in the same place that it was just a little while ago. Three days in the Bible is the distance between life and death. Three days in a week can often be the difference between life and death for you. The Lord's presence has never left them. The ark is still here with them. They still have the same kind of progression going on. The cloud of God is still covering them. The presence of God is still around. But there's a problem. Do you really think that the Lord needs to rise up when his cloud is there, his ark is there, fire is coming down from Sinai? I want to tell you this morning that what needs to happen is we scream, cry out, say, Lord, rise up. Rise up. It's not actually the Lord that needs to rise up. His presence is at your disposal right now. That what God is saying to this body and this congregation is rise up and be honest. Rise up and cultivate your heart. Rise up and stop being cowardly. You've heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai. But something inside of us has got to say, Lord, rise up inside of me. I need you. I need your ark to manifest in my life. 
How many of you know what we're saying is true about public exposure? Now, honestly, how many of you know that it's going to be very hard for you? Rise up! Now is the time that God will fill you with His anointing and His power to actually carry out what is best for your life and family to be transformed. You want to be transformed, right? Rise up! I'm so proud that during worship, there was a prophecy and this church responds immediately and everybody runs and gets on their face. And man, that is a huge step. How would you feel if the things you were saying to the Lord privately there at the altar were written across your forehead? Are you sure that you can get rid of them dealing with them in a private fashion? Well, let me ask you a question. How many times have you already done that? Let's go to 1 Samuel 16. In fact, we'll just put it on the screen. We really need to pick up the pace. There's some good things to get to here. So 1 Samuel 16, 12. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Of course, this is Samuel talking about David. But it required Samuel to stop mourning the sin of Saul. It required Samuel to stop looking for natural strength in the other sons of Jesse. It required Samuel to stop having earthly and natural thinking. See, if you want spiritual strength, it's going to have to come from spiritual direction. You're going to have to learn to rise up. You're going to have to learn to receive the anointing of God. You're going to have to show courage over your carnality. Amen. You're going to have to show bravery over the barbarisms of the flesh. You're going to have to show power over perversity. You're going to have to be holy instead of hellish. you got to rise up. you got to receive the anointing of God. You cannot receive the anointing through a private circumcision. The anointing comes when a man publicly takes a stand for Christ. You say, well, I did that 20 years ago. And if that was your bravest day, then every lie, every day since has been a diminishment of Christ. Your bravest days ought to be ahead of you. Your boldest repentance ought to be before you. Your most daring exposure ought to still be in your future, not your past. Rise up. Listen to Isaiah 52, verse 1. This is God speaking to His people. Awake, awake, O Zion! Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you. Over and over and over again, Isaiah describes the Lord being stirred, and He awakes and something happens with His powerful, mighty right hand. In 52, He tells His people, You, awaken, clothe yourself with Christ, so to speak. Awake, anointed one, awake. Put on the splendorous garments of the Spirit and be your new self. Whatever you were before, defiled, uncircumcised, it's time for my people to have an awakening when you hear my voice. Shake off the dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Shake off your dust. This is so much like saying dirt. Get down, Pastor Matthew. Put to death the earthly. Shake it off. Rise up, rise up to the true throne of God that should be reigning in our heart. The way that we do that is by bold, courageous honesty, by holy honesty, by combating what we have and asking God to supply what we need. You are not a captive. You are a child of God, one grafted in and born to Zion. 
God would say to you, awake and rise up, my church. See, you cannot just suppress the spiritual sickness. That won't work. In secrecy and suppressing of the sickness, that is not what the scripture calls for. It's to crucify the carnal heart that is producing it. And you can't crucify the carnal heart if you're not exposing it and revealing it. See, pride is where this flourishes. It flourishes because you think you can handle it. And it's just between you and the Lord. And even though your history shows you can't handle it, you won't expose it because that would kill the pride. I want you to see it in Ezra 10. We're going to be in Ezra 10 in verse 3. As we read this passage, consider, when you think that you can handle it, how much sin is it that you find acceptable? Can you handle it because it was once in two years, three years? What is it that you find acceptable? Ezra 3, or 10.3. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. So LCM, what kind of church are we? Are we here to perceive people's sin so that we can prosecute it? Are we here so that we can exploit the weakness of another? Are we here to execute our siblings for the very same earthly behaviors that lay hidden in our hearts? I for one say, hell no! We are the spiritual sons of God. We rise up. We place personal responsibility on our brothers, but then we lend our hands to their holy hands as they courageously wage war on their worldly behaviors and drive them out. They and us with them drive them out. We got to rise up. You got to rise up. You got to take courage for yourself. You have to rise up and take courage for your brothers. Support the sons of God in the battle that is all too often unspoken, and that's one of the reasons it's unwinnable. We expose sin so that we can execute sin. We edify because we want to elevate. We will win this war in honest holiness. Somebody ought to cry out, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. I am for my God, and that makes me for you. And that's the right order. See, I need my brothers in this congregation. And you need me. And we need each other in honesty without lying to one another. Rise up. Anoint yourself. Get up. Go up. Fight for your brothers and fight for the purity that your brothers are fighting for. Well, what they say to Ezra is rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. See, the thing is, we accept frequency of sin as a a reason to not actually have to deal with it. The Lord is calling us to a place where we take the matter into our own hand and we're there to support each other. That what we're doing is cultivating an atmosphere where every man is a Zimri killer and we're helping each other do it. Psalm 20 verse 6 says this, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He answers Him from His holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the King. Answer us, plurally, when we call. He will hear us from holy heaven. We have to believe that. 
We have to cultivate a faith and a belief in the trust of God that when we call out, He will hear us. That His supernatural power will affect our lives and our heart. With the knockout power of His right hand, which is Messiah, which is Messiah's body and Messiah's blood, will affect us, transform us, and make us a holy priesthood together. Our strength is not in earthly things. It is in what Christ has done for us and our unity in the Spirit. Not in the unspiritual Not in discipline or any other means by which men gain strength. It is strictly in the name of our Lord God. I want to say again, rise up church. Stand firm. We need to cultivate holy honesty. Courageous speech. Courageous faith that puts to death cowardice. We have to kill our carnal nature in a public fashion together. Real crucifixion is a public event. It is not possible to be crucified in a hidden area. So when we say take up our cross, what do you think that looks like? You think, oh, I'm bearing the sins of the world. Yeah, you're an ambassador. You are helping other people get right. But first and foremost, you're crucifying your sin in a public fashion for the world to see. And you invite them to come and see. Look at the way my God is bringing about progress in my life. I'm not perfect, but you know who I was? I'm being transformed from that. Today, tomorrow, the next day, I will press on, church. I'm going to reach my goal. I will see my Savior. Do you have a continuous faith this morning? In these last few days, even in the last hour, I had a conversation with a dear friend right before the service. And he's all on top of these themes. And it's beautiful because I've known him a long time. And he's saying, I realize that this has been a sin in my life for many years. The very thing that you think will disqualify you actually elevates you in the eyes of your brothers. I'm like, my God, he's making progress. He's going to win this thing. He is going to get it. And I want to help him. That is the spirit we're talking about. In Psalm 94, in verse 14, For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Somebody say never. Never. See, you are his glorious inheritance in the saints. He will not reject the honest man who is waging war. Look at verse 15. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and all the upright will will follow it. Upright in heart will follow it. See, not only you will be founded on righteousness, but the upright will follow you in that righteousness. That's the whole point. Verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Come on. Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? I'm asking you, LCM, who will rise up? Mm. Who will take a stand against your own evil deeds and desires? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, hear it, my foot is slipping. Your love, O Lord, supported me. There's no one in this room who wins without the help of the Lord. Help is for the honest man. Help is for those who can say, my foot is slipping. Not 20 years ago, it is right now. But they refuse to stay in that sick and sinful situation. They rise up, they anoint, they get up, they go up, and they do what it takes to be honest and become holy. Which is verse 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. You need the consolation of the Lord. 
You need the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Stop acting like the battle has already been won. We have to honestly wage war and you need to invite others to join you. Somebody say honestly. Honestly. We're going to wage war and we're going to invite others to join us. We're going to read a familiar passage now. Micah 7, 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. It's good. Verse 9 struck me. Because I have sinned against him. I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my cause and establishes my right hand. He will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. See, no man has fallen permanently, but we so often quote verse eight. It is so much. It's like John three sixteen, and nobody can quote John three seventeen. What put him there is because I have sinned against him. I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes righteousness. You see, sin causes wrath. But it also gives way to an establishment as a son, a man that he pleads your case, that his right hand is over your right hand. You ever seen a father with a son that's trying to learn to ride a bike and he makes mistake after mistake after mistake that leaves him bloody as all get out. But because he is not ashamed before his father, not ashamed before his family, he's able to get back up and have his father's hands over it. This is what it's describing. I've been beaten. I've done things that I should not have done. But Lord, I'm honest, I'm open, I need help right now. I'm a bleeding from my own wounds. Will you circumcise my heart again? Elder Charlie, will you help me? Brother Nick, will you help me? Then the hand of God begins to strengthen your hand. Not just His, your hand becomes more like Him. When we're talking about rising up, when we're talking about grabbing hold of the anointing, when we're talking about getting up and going up, We're trying to create a movement of public repentance where you are no longer ashamed to be seen for what you actually are. You know your condition and your brother does, so nobody is shocked or surprised. Instead, you're locking arms and saying, we're going higher. We're doing better. We are not going to go backwards. We fight for each other. That can never happen if no one actually knows. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't have to be discovered. It should be offered. I want to take a new look at Luke 17. We're at one hour and nine minutes, and I will not waste your time. If you understood what I'm about to share, I wouldn't take the time to give it to you. We're doing it now so that you can grab something that's new, so that you can elevate your priesthood. By the way, the title of this message is Phinehas Rising, and we are still coming towards Phinehas, but we're taking a stop at Luke 17. Luke 17 and verse 17. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I want you to understand that among ten lepers, one of them is said to be a foreigner. That foreigner returned after Jesus healed all ten. And because that man knew what he was, it allows him to become something more than he was. Come on, He was healed. He was cleansed. But he still had to rise up. See, this was not the last battle in his life. And it's not the biggest battle in his life. It was just the one that was most obvious in that moment. After he's healed from leprosy, he's told to rise up and to go in faith. 
He still has to rise up and go. He has to continue to war against other kinds of leprosies from both within and without. The thing that is sad about this story is that he should have had nine companions in the process. Yeah. But the others considered the battle won when their initial leprosy was cured. Friends, that is cowardice. That's cowardice that doesn't continue. It says because the Lord did something then, now I'm all good. Forgive me, but the hell you're all good. Look at your life. Tell me that you're all good. If that is your feeling, then you don't have sober judgment about your own life. And of course you will have not sober judgment about others' lives. The plank in your eye is too big to see clearly to the speck in your brother's eye. When you see yourself rightly, it allows you to be an instrument of God encouraging your brothers. It starts with holy honesty. I want to ask you what made this man well. Well, he went and did what Jesus told him to do, but he continues to trust Jesus and wage war as he moves forward. That was a foreigner. The other nine were most likely Israelites. Yep. Why did the Israelites not come back and the foreigner did? Because the Israelites thought their problem was cured and they were just fine. The foreigner knew how deep his leprosy problem went and it was not just his skin disease. This is much like Luke 18. When we read about someone who beat their breast before God because they knew how holy he was and how unholy they were and went home justified. And then other men said, how righteous I am. Your lack of awareness of your own sinful nature should be the scariest thing on the planet because it means God's actual holiness is far from you. Whether you've been saved two years or 20 years, that is something that we have to constantly tear back the callus from so that we can see clearly. Ephesians 5.13 But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything what by the light? Exposed. What is the word? Exposed. For it is the light that makes everything Visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You will never become the image of God without exposure to the light. You should be encouraged. If you can see the sin and the flaw, you're at least making some progress in the right direction. But if you feel yourself secure and cannot even see your own flaws because of the flattery that has consumed you, you're far from Christ today. Nobody wants their sin exposed. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I would like to be publicly humiliated. But when it becomes visible that you begin to wake up from a spiritual slumber is the place at which we can cultivate a priesthood, where we can grow, where we can see progress going in our life. We're going to have to have a holy honesty with each other. It is the only way for us to remove sin. No more excuses about why we can't do it or why that was really just okay. We're modifying Rather than God's word, our actual sinful practice to make it sound like it was God's word. This is a public execution. There is no way to get rid of sin without dragging it into the light. It's not just the act itself, but it's the pride that is in your heart that allows you to keep sinning and allows you to keep operating in this way that has got to be removed from our lives. It's time that we wake up, we rise up in this area, and we boldly, proudly, honestly go into the light. I believe in His resurrection power. I believe that His Spirit is available. And it is available for men who are honest before Him. In the same way that He redeemed you when you got born again and filled you with what you needed, though you were desperately lacking. You were desperately lacking today, but when you are bold and powerful in repentance, He will meet you in your weakness.
Take a deep breath. Exhale. Let's go to Numbers 25. You are going to rise up. You're going to rise to bigger heights than you ever. This year is about elevating your priesthood. And it turns out that your humiliation is your exaltation. And when you are exalted, that is your spiritual humiliation. The worst thing that could happen to you is people think you're stronger than you actually are. The best thing that could happen to you is people glory in the progress between the pathetic man that you were and the less pathetic man that you are now. It's the best thing that could happen. Then only God gets glory for what happens through your life. Are you in Numbers 25? You have read this chapter I don't know how many times. You've heard it preached on I don't know how many times. So I am not going to set all of that for you. I just want to read verse 4. The Lord said to Moses... Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. This whole chapter you found out is largely the tale of two men. Phinehas, who is a priest of God, and Zimri, who is a tribal leader. Phinehas, who is righteous, and Zimri, who is wicked. The thing is, is you are both. Phinehas and Zimri live inside of you. We've called this in marriage teaching your Abigail and Nabal traits. You have both natures inside of you. This chapter is largely the tale of sin's subtlety. The way that they were weeping privately while sin was growing. Man, that's no kind of battle plan. To sit and weep and not publicly execute and expose is no battle plan. You ought to know that by now. There's a question that ought to be rising in your mind. If Phinehas and Zimri both live inside of you, if the perverse, wicked, degenerate, sinful nature is inside of every one of you, but also Phinehas, the righteous priest, is inside of you, which one of them has a spear in his hand? In your life, Is Zimri armed with a spear? Let me tell you how you would know. Have you many times had the urging to share something? To make yourself visible before others? To make yourself accountable before others? But you put it to death and didn't do it? That's a clue that Zimri is spearing Phinehas in your life. You can't build a priesthood like that. You can't elevate a priesthood like that. Phinehas is rising in this room. Come on. We are learning Amen. to arm with honesty and holiness the man of God that is equipped with the Word of God. I don't want any of you to look at me more highly than I actually have merited through God's behavior in me. Amen. For that to be true. I can't hide from you the embarrassing areas of my life and present to you the areas that are more perfected. That is lying to your brothers. And you can't elevate a priesthood like that. Phinehas dealt with the sin in his own camp. Say his own. His own camp. See, when you read the story, you're enough retracted from it that it's like good guy Phinehas kills bad guy Zimri and you forget their countrymen. You forget they live in the same camp. You forget that they are both 
inside of the prince with God, Israel. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with sin in your camp. Phinehas didn't do this privately. Phinehas did it publicly. He did it honestly. He did it in holiness. He put to death that which belonged to the earthly nature and he did it publicly. This perpetuates, this elevates the priesthood of God. Consider David. We just taught on 2 Samuel 12 a little while ago. After killing his own sin, recognizing the wicked nature of it, what is it that he begins to do? He gets up off the ground. He rises up and he gets away from his earthly nature. He begins to wash so that he can wear new clothing. And then he goes into the house of God and he worships. That worship allows him to begin to war in the heavenlies. War with the things that have previously held him. What I'm saying, church, is you need to get up from the sin that you're recognizing. Deal with it. Kill it. Then get up. Wash. Put on the new self that we started with in Colossians. Be clothed with Christ arraignment. So that you can worship and go to war. Where the spear begins to be in Phinehas' hand more and more. Where what is dominating your life is the rise of a heavenly priesthood inside of you. Let's go to Luke 5 together. Do you guys have a handful of minutes for us? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, if this was your favorite Netflix. This was your favorite Netflix. Would you keep watching? But what if you were tired? Well, I just need to know how it ends. I ended a meeting a few days ago early. I was concerned. The people were fidgety. They were, they were squirming. They seemed full. And I mean, dear God, we surely don't want to stress a Christian out by giving them too much word. So I ended the meeting. And then I listened to them talk about athletics for the next two hours. I will never do that again. I will never give more reverence to the ridiculous, idolatrous hobbies of human beings than I do that which is of eternal importance. I genuinely don't care what they think. I care what my king thinks of me. And I got it wrong. Today... We're at a closing thought. We're going to read to you from Luke 5 and then just a couple like passages that are the voice of the Spirit. And I'm asking you to, this is the last time you're going to hear from me for a couple months. I'm asking you to tune in to it because I'm confident that's for this body. It breaks my heart. A, A brother walked in, sat down, listened for 20 minutes, got up and walked out. It breaks my heart. He's missing something he needs. If you're sitting here, be here. Be here for just a minute. And let's see what it will do for you. I promise it won't waste your time. This is Luke 5 verse and four. verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, you may not recognize what Peter is doing, 
But if you think to your efforts in Christian ministry, if you think to your efforts in parenting, your efforts in witnessing at work, you'll recognize what Peter's doing. Master, you don't get it. I've already been working at this. I've been working at it. It doesn't work. Lord, I've been trying. I read your word and I do it, but it doesn't work. I prayed for healing for them, but they didn't get healed. I witnessed to him, but he didn't get it. It doesn't work. See, I hear that all of the time. And unfortunately, I hear it in the dialogue of my own mind sometimes. You get tired of laboring and you don't feel like you are seeing the results that you should see. That's right where Peter is at. Mm -hmm. He says, but master, because you say so, I'll do it. In other words, I'm doing it, but I don't want to. Does that define anybody's Christian life in here? I'm doing it, but I don't want to. I'll show up to this, but I don't want to. I'll do it, but I don't want to. And why don't I want to? It's never really done anything for me. That's kind of what's going on here. Judah, would you pick up in verse 6? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. That's a strange response for a guy who did what Jesus told him to do and saw an extraordinary response. He's recognizing now that he uh, is aware of how great the Lord is, how far he actually is from him. This is not unlike the Apostle Paul who escalates in his exposure of his carnal nature. Peter is publicly exposing his faithless hopeless, sinful attitude. The distance that he felt from the Lord's holiness was greatest at the moment that the Lord actually just did something amazing for him. Mm -hmm. See, so many in this room are Peter. Lord, I'm doing it. I've been doing it for years, but I just, I don't see what I'd hoped to see from it. Consider verse 9 with me. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were all astonished because they had all been faithless. Every one of them was surprised by what happened here. Only Peter honestly exposed his condition, though. Jesus didn't disqualify Peter when he did it. He actually elevates him. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Do not be afraid of what? (laughs) Isn't that the magic question? Do not be afraid of the distance that you're feeling because you know that you failed. Do not be afraid of the fact that you sinned. I knew that you would do it when I called you. Do not be afraid of your failing. I see right where you are, Peter, because you have exposed it. But I will elevate you. I will transform you. I will take you to higher ground. You had a hard time fishing when I told you to. And I'm going to teach you to fish for men. 
The truth is, every man there struggled with the same thought that Peter had. Peter was the only one that had the courage to stand up and say so. And so Peter rises to heights that are recorded in the Scripture that they never rise to because they never exposed themselves in the way that Peter did. They were never circumcised publicly the way Peter was. See, we know that James and John were astonished and they thought this, but they didn't say so. It had to be discerned by the Spirit. Peter jumped right out there and said, I'm a sinful man. And that's the man that God will take to heights that He'll take no other man to because you'll steal the glory from Him. Then Jesus said to Simon, we have spoken so much about wanting to enter the Holy of Holies where we want to hear the voice of God. We've spent time praying together where we're dying to hear the voice of God. We're cultivating an atmosphere of prayer. Am I right? The man who loudly, boldly repented held nothing in reserve even when Christians on his left and right weren't doing it is the one that heard from the Lord. How bad do you want to hear his voice today? How bad do you want to hear him, regardless of what your friends do, whether or not there's a group at the altar, or you're at the altar and it's just you and the Lord? How bad do you actually want it? Now listen, it's so easy for you to respond right now with an answer. The proof of how much you want the voice of God in your life will be played out over the weeks and months and years ahead, where not at an altar call, not at a moving sermon, What your repentance in your life looks like. Is it just one special service where we all repent together so it's okay? Or is it a life that is an astounding testament to progress? That is always changing, always growing, and the voice of God is actually alive inside of you. The title to this message is Phinehas Rising. Rising. What's the title? Phinehas Rising. At what point... In Peter's story, is Phinehas rising? Is Phinehas rising when Peter said, Well, we worked hard all night, Master, and we didn't catch anything. Is that the rise of Phinehas? Where is the rise of Phinehas? It's when he says, Away from me, Lord! I'm a sinful man! The priest in him was rising and spearing the sinner! See, this was the death of Peter's sinful nature. And it didn't just happen once. It had to happen many times in his life. The spear is going to be in somebody's hand in a few minutes. The question is, will what is holy and righteous and above all honest spear that which is wicked? Or will Zimri get away with secret perversion and spear honest Phinehas in your life? I can hear the words of the Spirit in this church. I recorded them from the book of Revelation. And I want you to hear just... Just the passage, and I know for sure this is what the Lord is saying to us. In Revelation 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The voice of the Lord is saying to this congregation, come up here. Come up here. He's showing us how to elevate. He's showing us what to do so that we can win. I can hear His voice saying, come up. Come up here. 
In Revelation 11 and verse 12, literally the last thing we're reading as Peyton walks up here. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. Man. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. See, today we need to have a spear in the correct hand. We need to recognize the war that is going on in our inner being, that we must dominate the throne of Satan in our life. That it is declared dead, but it's still at work in your members. If that's true for the Apostle Paul and there's warfare going on in him, we cannot pretend like we have everything under control. We need a holy, unashamed barbarism towards that sinful nature. The sinister, subtle secrecy and in sinful battles and private wars must be speared by the rising of Phinehas in your life. Let me put that in plain speech instead of pretty language. The sinister secrecy of sin in your life has got to be removed because you are empowering Zimri in your own household. You're empowering Zimri in your own heart. You're empowering Zimri. Every single time you choose to keep something a secret and hide it, you're gifting your enemy with the tool that he needs to kill you. But when you turn and you say, I want a holy honesty, you're empowering Christ's work inside of your life to rise and grow in strength. We're inviting you to come up here today that we may show you what needs to take place in this moment. We have been repenting. We are fighting for Phinehas to rise inside of us. And we're inviting you to come along with us. That this is what God has spoken to our church. And it's time for us to elevate our priesthood together. Phinehas is rising. While all Israel sat, Phinehas rose. In the end, Phinehas wasn't alone. Because other priests joined him. And Josephus says so. They actually created a line and a movement. So instead of asking in this room for everybody to stand to their feet, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, will Phinehas stand up? Phinehas boldly, publicly speared his sin. Phinehas didn't hide in darkness. It's my great hope that you understand as you come to this altar, this is not between you and the Lord alone. And it's not because we are all His body. The kingdom of God depends on all of us doing our work. We're not telling any of you what to do. We're saying as Phinehas rises in you, you'll know what to do. Father, We're asking in the name of Jesus that you would lead this congregation. Lord, you are elevating us in the hope of transformation through transparency. Lord God, show us what to do. Show us what is pleasing before you.